This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Peter Clotty, and here's what's coming up. I'm scared because, yes, it is actually overwhelming. These guys are actually uh, doing the um, unimaginable, like things you could not believe or things you could not even um, imagine. Coming out in broad daylight to attack airports, it's, it's, really, it's really crazy and scary. That was Jake Studu, an activist from Nigeria's Kaduna state, on 200 gunmen invading an airport and killing an official. And all this and more coming up on African News Tonight. In what was seen as vindication of his political aspirations, Nelson Chamises recently formed Citizens Coalition for Change Party, won a large chunk of parliamentary and council seats in Zimbabwe's by-elections. Adigondo gives us more on the story. In Saturday's election, the CCC grabbed 22 National Assembly seats out of 28 vacancies and 75 seats out of 122 council seats. In Blauayo, the second largest city, CCC won all the vacant seats. On the other hand, the Douglas Monzora-led MDC Alliance Party, which Chamisa once led, failed to win even a single local government seat. Critics say the position was gifted to Monzora by a client judiciary doing the ruling party's bidding. Chamisa's CCC was formed on January 26th after, after a long-standing Chamisa CCC was formed on January 26th after a long-standing battle over the control of the MDC alliance. Analysts say the electoral results are both a harbinger of things to come, national elections are scheduled for next year, and vindication of Chamisa's acceptance among the electorate as the leader of the country's alternative political movement. Thomas Stolle, a political analyst, says the ruling ZANU-PF party has deployed a variety of strategies to gut the opposition. The processes that led to the by-elections, uh, they were instigated by ZANU-PF as a party that has uh, managed to capture also some political parties that have become very complicit in its uh, ransacking of state institutions. Uh, Monzora's party is an extension of ZANU-PF and Monzora is doing the bidding of ZANPF. So they, it's going to be more uh, recalls in Parliament. Monzora is going to surrender uh, everything to ZANPF. But Zimbabweans are not uh, uh, stupid. Analyst F. Nguye deplores what he calls the abuse of state organs to, to thwart dissent. The by-election also shows that the country is in serious need for political, electoral, legal, and uh, institutional reforms to guarantee free and fair elections. Uh, the way elections were held um, uh, under a cloud of violence, of exclusion of registered voters, of movement of voters from one constituency to another, uh, it shows that uh, the country is still far from holding free and fair elections. And that is giving advantage to the ruling party, which is benefiting from the chaos and the ricky. Nguye that there is need for increased impetus and momentum among the international community, SADC in particular, to call for comprehensive reforms so that Zimbabwe meets its international obligations in holding of elections. 
of free and fair elections. Still, there are concerns about low voter turnout, which pundits say will only guarantee the status quo. So the opposition needs to cultivate its support base uh, so that it turns out in largest numbers to register as voters and then to turn out on the appointed day to vote. Meanwhile, the ruling party is celebrating its election victory, though social media is awash with jibes directed at the MDC Alliance leader as a political puppet who was punished by the electorate. Reporting for VOA, this is Adigondo in Blawayo, Zimbabwe. Many Nigerian citizens and security experts are raising concerns that the country may be overrun by terrorists after some 200 gunmen Saturday invaded an airport in Kaduna State and killed an official. The attack followed days of violent raids in the state with dozens of people killed. Timothy Obiezo reports from Abuja. Saturday's attack was the latest in a spate of violence that has hit the northwestern Nigerian state for days. Federal airport authorities said the armed terrorists invaded runway 5 of the airport from a nearby forest and opened fire, killing one official and causing flight delays. Kaduna State Commissioner of Internal Security and Home Affairs Samuel Aruwan said the military deployed to the airport immediately repelled the attack before it escalated. Armed gangs have been terrorizing the state for years In the last two weeks, dozens of people were reported killed in series of attacks on local communities southward of the state, where sectarian violence has persisted. Jake Studu, an activist from Southern Kaduna, says the recent development is worrying. I'm scared because, yes, it is actually overwhelming. These guys are actually uh, doing the um, unimaginable, like things you could not believe or things you could not even um, imagine. Coming out in broad daylight to attack airports, it's, it's, really, it's really crazy and scary. Saturday's attack also occurred as Nigerian president and top officials of his ruling political party, All Progressives Congress, APC, hosted thousands of people in Abuja to mark the party's conference ahead of next year's polls, sparking criticism. The critics say the attacks highlighted major failures on election promises made to Nigerians. In being um, a state that has the Nigerian Defense Academy, we have the police college, um, name it. Kaduna used to be a, like a fortified ground, but now today we have these guys moving around in Kaduna, kidnapping people. In 2015, Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari vowed to address security concerns and boost the country's economy. But authorities have been struggling to curb frequent attacks by armed gangs who rose to prominence for the mass kidnappings of students and the killings of local residents since late 2020. Authorities say the military operations against gangs have been successful and that hundreds have been killed in recent months. The latest being the killing of more than 200 armed gangs known locally as bandits in central Niger state earlier this month. But security analyst Senator Iribu says while the military appears to be making some progress, there's still reason to be worried. Government claim to be winning the war, I'm sure it's a war of motivation. Yes, there's some progress, but the evidence like this shows that um, yeah, we, the, the war has not been won.
Aid groups say in recent years that attacks like the one in southern Kaduna have sacked communities and displaced at least 30,000 people from their homes. Tim Theobiezu for VOA News, Abuja, Nigeria. Reuters reports that the M23 rebel group has attacked army positions in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo near the border with Uganda and Rwanda. The attack began around 2300 GMT near two villages, Chanzu and Runyonyi, about 50 kilometers northeast of Goma, the capital of North Kivu province. They were former strongholds of the M23 until 23 13, when the rebels were driven out by Congolese and United Nations forces. The two villages were briefly taken in an overnight attack in November. Last week, spokesman for the militants said the group deplores what he called the dreadful adoption of violence and complained about the slow implementation of a peace accord. The UN has in the past accused Kigali and Kampala of supporting the M23, an allegation they both deny. Both intervened militarily in the region 20 years ago. A spokesman for the group could not be reached for comment on today's attacks. The three-year quest by the Democratic Republic of Congo to join the East African community ends tomorrow when it becomes the seventh member state, adding its 92 million population to the EAC market. Eugene Uwimana spoke with political and economic analysts from Rwanda's capital, Kigali. The journey started in 2019 when the DRC wrote to the then ESC chairperson, Rwanda President Paul Kagame, officially expressing his country's interest to join. For Nyiringabor Humoriza, a Rwandan corporate lawyer and a social political analyst, the DRC is a natural member. By DRC joining the ESC, you have now covered the East and the West of Africa, the entire uh, equator area, you have covered it. So basically you have joined the Atlantic to the Pacific. And this is quite exciting. And the population uh, of uh, the ESC, in fact, have a direct blood relationship with with the DRC. So every country, Uganda, Rwanda, um, Tanzania, uh, share a border with the with the DRC. South Sudan shares a border with the DRC. Burundi shares a border with DRC. So it, it's it's a natural uh, natural union. Uh, the DRC joins the ESC. During the 18th summit of ESC heads of state in December, Ugandan President Museveni shared the same feeling. I'm very happy. Today, we we, we approved the process for the admission of the Democratic Republic of Congo into the community. This is because Congo is really a part of East Africa historically, especially the eastern part of Congo. They speak Swahili, they are similar to our tribes here, and uh, it is colonialism which had kept Congo uh, in another arrangement. Joining the East African community brings economic benefits. The Rwandan Foreign Ministry says it will increase the bloc's total GDP from 193 billion US dollars to 240 billion US dollars, and many investors will be keen to tap into such a huge market. However, analyst Rumiza Gatete says economic integration can be a bit difficult. ESC uh, is a family that is quite a different culture. Um, so it's an, you know uh, colonized by the Brits, uh, essentially, uh, that has a different working culture. They have a different culture of working, of 
which has its advantages and its disadvantages, but which is much more swift and much less bureaucratic than uh, than a Belgian colony or a francophone country and so on, on the one hand. Political analyst Patrick Muneza said insecurity in the DRC is one of the main challenges to admission into the ESC. The membership of DRC in the East African community will of course be attached with uh, different challenges. Congo uh, faces the problem of insecurity. There is insecurity in Congo caused by groups of rebels operating from the forests in Congo. So being a member, it is not a peaceful member they are gaining or they are, they are having. It is a challenge. Why not can't the problems also reach the neighbors? Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta, the ESC current chair, said the application of the ERC shows that the bloc is doing well and can jointly deal with the challenges that members face. I consider this as a testament of not only the success of the East African community, but also the opportunities that remain untapped. This is also an affirmation of our efforts to deepen integration and widen cooperation. Currently, the ESC comprises Rwanda, Burundi, Uganda, Tanzania, Kenya, and the South Sudan. Ejen Uwimana for VOA News, Jigali, Rwanda. UN human rights officials warn a deepening crackdown on civil society in Libya is creating a chilling effect on human rights defenders and other activists who are subject to arbitrary arrest and other forms of government intimidation. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Human rights spokeswoman Liz Throssell says the trend of a shrinking civic space in Libya has been going on for many months. She notes it reached an apex in the run-up to planned presidential elections last December 24th. She says election-related hate speech and smear campaigns attacking the freedom of expression in Libya were at an all-time high during that period. The UN-sponsored election was meant to end a decade of conflict. It was subsequently delayed because of bitter arguments about divisive candidates. However, Throssell notes the hate speech campaigns have not stopped. We n- we've noted that there are uh, attacks against human rights defenders, journalists, civil society actors and members of social movements, as I said. And, and these attacks appeared aimed to silence um, movements such as youth movements, social, cultural and peaceful movements. Um, I think so. It is, it is a broader concern. Throssell says members of the Internal Security Agency and state affiliated armed groups have arbitrarily detained, tortured, and intimidated human rights and civic activists. That was justified under the pretense of protecting so called Libyan and Islamic values. She says videos were posted of seven young men arbitrarily arrested between November and March in the capital Tripoli. They were seen seemingly confessing to being atheist, a religious, secular, and feminist. We've received allegations that these confessions were obtained by coercion raising serious concerns regarding the use of torture, which is absolutely prohibited. These confessions also implicate several other men and women, many of whom have now gone into hiding after receiving death threats. 
Thrussell says the Facebook videos have sparked a wave of hate speech against human rights defenders. She says there have been calls to prosecute activists as apostates under Sharia law and for death sentences. She says some campaigners for gender equality and social and cultural rights have fled overseas, fearing for their safety. The Human Rights Office is calling on Libyan authorities to stop the aggressive campaign against Libyans defending their human rights and to release those arbitrarily detained. It says perpetrators of alleged torture and other violations should be prosecuted, including members of the Internal Security Agency. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. The future for South African wines in China is looking rose after Beijing slapped huge tariffs on Australian exports and made a diplomatic row. Now South African winemakers are creating vintages tailored for the Chinese market. Kate Bartlett reports from Johannesburg, South Africa. Winemakers in the rolling green vineyards of the Western Cape in South Africa knew an opportunity had arrived when China slapped a 212% tariff on Australian wines. The cause? Disagreement over the origins of COVID-19 in 2020. Marcus Ford is the Asia market manager for Wines of South Africa, which represents all local winemakers. And since then, um, you know, merchants who were dealing in Australian wine have been looking for other alternatives, and South Africa is a very obvious place to go. Um, and we've, you know, we've benefited uh, dramatically in the past 12 months. So our exports to China have doubled um, over that period, and, and the momentum looks to be strong. South Africa shipped $31 million worth of wine to China, a 59% increase from the previous year. One company that's benefited is AM Vineyards. They're even making their own blend, catering specifically to the Chinese palate, says co-owner Matthew Karen. We wanted to satisfy the Chinese palate. And that took quite a lot of getting to know the market, um, talking to sommeliers, getting to really understand what really works well in the market, and then developing a South African product that is made for Chinese palates. Chinese wine connoisseurs prefer mainly red wines, red being a lucky colour in Chinese culture. They also favour corks over screw caps and like fancy packaging. However, tastes are changing and the Chinese market is still quite young, says Ford. You could say that in the north of China, which has a, 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 a relatively robust um, appetite for alcohol and strong alcohol. Um, you know, there's a preference for, for rich, heavy red wines. And in the south, there's more openness to lighter styles and white wines. There's a younger generation who've embraced, um, you know, white wines, sparkling wines. Yang Lu, China's first and only master sommelier, says it's hard to generalize about a Chinese palate for a country of over a billion people. I don't think there's a actually Chinese pattern exists. Uh, China is so huge. Uh, the, the, the taste of people, just like a Chinese food, are so diverse. In the past six months, more large retailers in China, like Walmart and Sam's Club, have started stocking South African wines. We just reached a stage that uh, the general public we are looking for more diversity uh, in terms of style, country, uh, varieties. And naturally, being one of the most important uh, one producing country in the world, South Africa came into the picture. 
The pandemic has caused difficulties. Restrictions and lockdowns in China mean there's been less demand, with restaurants and supermarkets shuttered and people staying home. I think the biggest impact, uh, in the short term at least, will be supply chain problems with um, ports and um, you know customs facilities and those sorts of things being impacted. So there'll be some disruption um, from a logistics perspective. But despite some hurdles ahead, the popularity of South African wines in China looks likely to grow. For VOA News, Kate Bartlett, Johannesburg. In South Africa, the leader of a group with the stated objective of pushing undocumented migrants out of the country is in court today. He was arrested Saturday after Operation Dudula members attacked a home in Soweto near Johannesburg. The incident also has led to violent clashes between supporters of South Africa's third largest political party, the Economic Freedom Fighters or the EFF, and Dudula members. Darren Taylor has more. Operation Dudula leader. Nkhlankla Lux Dlamini says he mobilized the crowd to protest outside the home of a known criminal in Soweto on Friday night. I have been arrested for fighting crime in our communities. We have been arrested for fighting drug dealers in our communities. Drug dealers that are supported by Julius Malema and the EFF simply because of that drug dealer happens to be an EFF member. The alleged criminal is a former senior official of the EFF, a party led by Julius Malema. Up until now, Dudula and the EFF have been united against so-called illegal foreigners, who they accuse of stealing jobs and other scarce resources from South Africans. Speaking to reporters outside the John Foster Square police station in central Johannesburg on Saturday morning, Dlamini claimed the police were doing precious little to stop crime. As we speak right now, here at John Foster, we've got buildings that I can identify where illegal immigrants are staying. There's no arrest. A South African fighting crime in South Africa because of the criminals happen to be EFF members is a problem. Dudula members sang a song in support of Dlamini as police led him to a cell. His lawyer, Ike Kumalo, is confident his client will be released on bail today. Kumalo says the charges, which include vandalizing property, are minor. He should have been released at the police station. You know, we've been struggling from Friday, trying to get a prosecutor on standby. About nine to ten prosecutors, all of them washing their hands off this case because they say powers above them compel them to stay away or not to release Uncantalax on bail. So, of which is disappointing. It has been tough because we try to communicate with people. They're closing their phones, even on. The lawyer says the case is politically motivated, and some powerful people want Lamini in jail where he can't embarrass them. University of Free State sociologist Professor Setolejo Matabisi says it's extremely concerning that Dudula seems to have morphed into a vigilante movement. I do not condone how this operation is going about knocking on the doors of individuals and all that. They can do their operation, they can campaign, they can take their case to the government, but the moment when they themselves also become involved in criminal activity, I think it actually creates a serious problem. But yes, uh, actually... One the rise of Dudula, says Matabisi, is indicative of poor governance and poor policing.
Why in the first place do we have an operation like that? That for me simply tells you that the spaces of participatory governance, the formal structures of community engagement are failing. And that's why you will have a mushrooming of operations like that. We see and deem it fit to occupy that space to try and deal with that challenge. He says parts of South Africa are now like the Wild West, with vigilantes fighting criminals, criminals fighting the police, Dudula fighting the EFF, the police fighting vigilantes, a seemingly endless, confusing circle of violence. It seems as if we have taken three steps forward in terms of consolidating our democracy, but yet we are on the brink of black-on-black violence in South Africa. Other commentators, though, say that brink was breached a long time ago. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Peter Clotty in Washington. For all latest development on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voanews.com. And thank you again for tuning in and choosing the voice of America.